Monday, July the 1st, Sri Ramakrishna Deva. Sri Ramakrishna was the son of a very orthodox Brahmin who would refuse even a gift from any but a special caste of Brahmins. Neither might he work, nor even be a priest in a temple, nor sell books, nor serve. He could only have what fell from the skies, arms, and even then it must not come through a fallen Brahmin. Temples have no hold on the Hindu religion. If they were all destroyed, religion would not be affected a grain. A man must only build a house for God and guests. To build for himself would be selfish. Therefore he erects temples as dwelling places for God. Owing to the extreme poverty of his family, Sri Ramakrishna was obliged to become, in his boyhood, a priest in a temple dedicated to the Divine Mother, also called Prakriti or Kali, represented by a female figure standing with feet on a male figure, indicating that until Maya lifts, we can know nothing. Brahman is neuter, unknown and unknowable, but to be objectified, he covers himself with a veil of Maya, becomes the mother of the universe, and so brings forth creation. The prostrate figure, Shiva or God, has become Shava, dead or lifeless, by being covered with Maya. The Gyani says, I will uncover God by force, Advaitism. But the dualist says, I will uncover God by praying to Mother, begging her to open the door to which she alone has the key. The daily service of the Mother Kali gradually awakened such intense devotion in the heart of the young priest that he could no longer carry on the regular temple worship, so he abandoned his duties and retired to a small woodland in the temple compound where he gave himself up entirely to meditation. These woods were on the bank of the river Ganges, and one day the swift current bore to his very feet just the necessary materials to build him a little hut. In this hut he stayed and wept and prayed, taking no thought for the care of his body, or for aught except his Divine Mother. A relative fed him once a day and watched over him. Later came a lady sannyasin, or ascetic, who helped him find his mother. Whatever teachers he needed came to him unsought. From every sect, some holy saint would come and offer to teach him, and to each he listened eagerly. But he worshipped only mother. All to him was mother. Sri Ramakrishna never spoke a harsh word against anyone. So beautifully tolerant was he, that every sect thought that he belonged to them. He loved everyone. To him all religions were true. He found a place for each one. He was free, but free in love 
not in thunder. The mild type creates, the thundering type spreads. Paul was the thundering type to spread the light. The age of St. Paul, however, is gone. We are to be new lights for this day. A self-adjusting organisation is the great need of our time. When we can get one, that will be the last religion of the world. The wheel must turn and we should help it, not hinder. The waves of religious thought rise and fall and on the topmost one stands the prophet of the period. Ramakrishna came to teach the religion of today, constructive, not destructive. He had to go afresh to nature, to ask for facts, and he got scientific religion, which never says believe, but see. I see, and you too can see. Use the same means, and you will reach the same vision. God will come to everyone. Harmony is within the reach of all. Sri Ramakrishna's teachings are the gist of Hinduism. They were not peculiar to him, nor did he claim that they were. He cared naught for name or fame. He began to preach when he was about forty, but he never went out to do it. He waited for those who wanted his teachings to come to him. In accordance with Hindu custom, he was married by his parents in early youth to a little girl of five who remained at home with her family in a distant village, unconscious of the great struggle through which her young husband was passing. When she reached maturity, he was already deeply absorbed in religious devotion. She travelled on foot from her home to the temple at Dakshineshwar, where he was then living. And as soon as she saw him, she recognised what he was, for she herself was a great soul, pure and holy, who only desired to help his work, never to drag him down to the level of the Grihastha, householder. Sri Ramakrishna is worshipped in India as one of the great incarnations, and his birthday is celebrated there as a religious festival. A curious round stone is the emblem of Vishnu, the omnipresent. Each morning a priest comes in, offers sacrifice to the idol, waves incense before it, then puts it to bed and apologises to God for worshipping him in that way, because he can only conceive of him through an image or by means of some material object. He bathes the idol, clothes it, and puts his divine self into the idol to make it alive. There is a sect which says, It is weakness to worship only the good and the beautiful. We ought also to love and worship the hideous and the evil. This sect prevails all over Tibet, and they have no marriage. In India proper, they cannot exist openly, 
but organize secret societies. No decent men will belong to them except Sabrosa. Thrice communism was tried in Tibet, and thrice it failed. They used tapas with immense success as far as power is concerned. Tapas means literally to burn. It is a kind of penance to heat the higher nature. It is sometimes in the form of a sunrise to sunset vow, such as repeating Om all day incessantly. These actions will produce a certain power that you can convert into any form you wish, spiritual or material. This idea of tapas penetrates the whole of Hindu religion. The Hindus even say that God made tapas to create the world. It is a mental instrument with which to do everything. Everything in the three worlds can be caught by tapas. People who report about sects with which they are not in sympathy are both conscious and unconscious liars. A believer in one sect can rarely see the truth in others. A great bhakta, Hanuman, once said when asked what day of the month it was, God is my eternal date, no other date I care for. Tuesday, July the 2nd, the Divine Mother. Shaktas worship the universal energy as Mother, the sweetest name they know. For the Mother is the highest ideal of womanhood in India. When God is worshipped as Mother, as Love, the Hindus call it the right-handed way, and it leads to spirituality, but never to material prosperity. When God is worshipped on his terrible side, that is, in the left-handed way, it leads usually to great material prosperity, but rarely to spirituality, and eventually it leads to degeneration and the obliteration of the race who practice it. Mother is the first manifestation of power, and is considered a higher idea than father. With the name of Mother comes the idea of Shakti, divine energy and omnipotence. Just as the baby believes its mother to be all-powerful, able to do anything, the Divine Mother is the Kundalini sleeping in us. Without worshipping her, we can never know ourselves. All-merciful, all-powerful, omnipresent are the attributes of Divine Mother. She is the sum total of the energy in the universe. Every manifestation of power in the universe is mother. She is life, she is intelligence, she is love. She is in the universe, yet separate from it. She is a person and can be seen and known, as Sri Ramakrishna saw and knew her. Established in the idea of mother, we can do anything. She quickly answers prayer. She can show herself to us in any form at any moment. Divine Mother can have form, rupa, and name, nama, or name without form, 
and as we worship her in these various aspects, we can rise to pure being, having neither form nor name. The sum total of all cells in an organism is one person. So each soul is like one cell, and the sum of them is God, and beyond that is the Absolute. The sea calm is the Absolute. The same sea in waves is Divine Mother. She is time, space and causation. God is Mother and has two natures, the conditioned and the unconditioned. As the former, she is God, nature and soul, man. As the latter, she is unknown and unknowable. Out of the unconditioned came the Trinity, God, nature and soul, the triangle of existence. This is the Vishishta Advaitist idea. A bit of mother, a drop, was Krishna, Another was Buddha, another was Christ. The worship of even one spark of mother in our earthly mother leads to greatness. Worship her if you want love and wisdom. Wednesday, July the 3rd Generally speaking, human religion begins with fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But later comes the higher idea. Perfect love casteth out fear. Traces of fear will remain with us until we get knowledge, know what God is. Christ, being man, had to see impurity and denounced it. But God, infinitely higher, does not see iniquity and cannot be angry. Denunciation is never the highest. David's hands were smeared with blood. He could not build the temple. The more we grow in love and virtue and holiness, the more we see love and virtue and holiness outside. All condemnation of others really condemns ourselves. Adjust the microcosm which is in your power to do, and the macrocosm will adjust itself for you. It is like the hydrostatic paradox. One drop of water can balance the universe. We cannot see outside what we are not inside. The universe is to us what the huge engine is to the miniature engine, an indication of any error in the tiny engine leads us to imagine trouble in the huge one. Every step that has been really gained in the world has been gained by love. Criticising can never do any good. It has been tried for thousands of years. Condemnation accomplishes nothing. A real Vedantist must sympathise with all. Monism, or absolute oneness, is the very soul of Fedanta. Dualists naturally tend to become intolerant, to think there's the only way. The Vaishnavas in India, who are dualists, are a most intolerant sect. Among the Shaivas, another dualistic sect, 
The story is told of a devotee by the name of Gantakarna, or the Balead, who was so devout a worshipper of Shiva that he did not wish even to hear the name of any other deity. So he wore two bells tied to his ears in order to drown the sound of any voice uttering other divine names. On account of his intense devotion to Shiva, the latter wanted to teach him that there was no difference between Shiva and Vishnu, so he appeared before him as half Vishnu and half Shiva. At that moment the devotee was waving incense before him, but so great was the bigotry of Gantakana that when he saw the fragrance of the incense entering the nostril of Vishnu, he thrust his finger into it to prevent the god from enjoying the sweet smell. The meat-eating animal, like the lion, gives one blow and subsides. But the patient bullock goes on all day, eating and sleeping as it walks. The live Yankee cannot compete with the rice-eating Chinese coolie. While military power dominates, meat-eating will prevail. But with the advance of science, fighting will grow less and then the vegetarians will come in. We divide ourselves into two to love God, myself loving myself. God has created me and I have created God. We create God in our image. It is we who create him to be our master. It is not God who makes us his servants. When we know that we are one with God, that we and he are friends, then come equality and freedom. So long as you hold yourself separated by a hair's breadth from this eternal one, fear cannot go. Never ask that foolish question, what good will it do to the world? Let the world go. Love and ask nothing. Love and look for nothing further. Love and forget all the isms. Drink the cup of love and become mad. Say, Thine, O Thine forever, O Lord, and plunge in, forgetting all else. The very idea of God is love. Seeing a cat loving her kittens, stand and pray. God has become manifest there. Literally believe this. Repeat, I am thine, I am thine. For we can see God everywhere. Do not seek for him, just see him. May the Lord ever keep you alive, light of the world, soul of the universe. The absolute cannot be worshipped so we must worship a manifestation, such a one as has our nature. Jesus had our nature. He became the Christ. So can we, and so must we. Christ and Buddha were the names of a state to be attained. Jesus and Gautama were the persons to manifest it. Mother is the first and highest manifestation next the Christs and Buddhas. We make our own environment and we strike the fetters off. The Atman is fearless. 
When we pray to a God outside, it is good, only we do not know what we do. When we know the self, we understand. The highest expression of love is unification. There was a time when I was a woman and he was a man. Still love grew until there was neither he nor I. Only I remember faintly there was a time when there were two. But love came between and made them one. Persian Sufi Poem Knowledge exists eternally and is coexistent with God. The man who discovers a spiritual law is inspired and what he brings is revelation. But revelation too is eternal, not to be crystallized as final and then blindly followed. The Hindus have been criticized so many years by their conquerors that they, the Hindus, dare to criticize their religion themselves and this makes them free. Their foreign rulers struck off their fetters without knowing it. The most religious people on earth, the Hindus, have actually no sense of blasphemy. To speak of holy things in any way is to them in itself a sanctification. Nor have they any artificial respect for prophets or books or for hypocritical piety. The church tries to fit Christ into it, not the church into Christ. So only those writings were preserved that suited the purpose in hand. Thus the books are not to be depended upon, and book worship is the worst kind of idolatry to bind our feet. All has to conform to the book, science, religion, philosophy, It is the most horrible tyranny, this tyranny of the Protestant Bible. Every man in Christian countries has a huge cathedral on his head, and on top of that a book, and yet man lives and grows. Does not this prove that man is God? Man is the highest being that exists, and this is the greatest world. We can have no conception of God higher than man. So our God is man, and man is God. When we rise and go beyond and find something higher, we have to jump out of the mind, out of the body and the imagination, and leave this world behind. When we rise to be the absolute, we are no longer in this world. Man is the apex of the only world we can ever know. All we know of animals is only by analogy. We judge them by what we do and feel ourselves. The sum total of knowledge is ever the same, only sometimes it is more manifested and sometimes less. The only source of it is within, and there only is it found. All poetry painting and music is feeling expressed through words, through colour, through sound. Blessed are those upon whom their sins are quickly visited, their account is the sooner balanced. Woe to those whose punishment is deferred, it is the greater. Those who have attained sameness are said to be living in God, 
All hatred is killing the self by the self. Therefore, love is the law of life. To rise to this is to be perfect. But the more perfect we are, the less work, so-called, can we do. The sattvikas see and know that all is mere child's play and do not trouble themselves about anything. It is easy to strike a blow, but tremendously hard to stay the hand, stand still and say, In thee, O Lord, I take refuge, and then wait for him to act. Friday, July the 5th Until you are ready to change any minute, you can never see the truth. For you must hold fast and be steady in the search for truth. Charvakas, a very ancient sect in India, were rank materialists. They have died out now, and most of their books are lost. They claim that the soul, being the product of the body and its forces, died with it, that there was no proof of its further existence. They denied inferential knowledge, accepting only perception by the senses. Samadhi is when the divine and human are in one, or it is bringing sameness. Materialism says the voice of freedom is a delusion. Idealism says that the voice that tells of bondage is delusion. Vedanta says you are free, and not free at the same time. Never free on the earthly plane, but ever free on the spiritual. Be beyond both freedom and bondage. We are Shiva, we are immortal knowledge beyond the senses. Infinite power is back of everyone. Pray to Mother, and it will come to you. O Mother, giver of Vark, Eloquence, thou self-existent, come as the vark upon my lips. Hindu invocation. That mother, whose voice is in the thunder, come thou in me. Kali, thou time eternal, thou force irresistible, Shakti, power. Saturday, July the 6th. Today we had Shankara's commentary on Vyasa's Vedanta Sutras. Om Tat Sat According to Shankara, there are two phases of the universe. One is I, and the other, Thou. They are as contrary as light and darkness, so it goes without saying that neither can be derived from the other. On the subject, The object has been superimposed. The subject is the only reality, the other a mere appearance. The opposite view is untenable. Matter and the external world are but the soul in a certain state. In reality, there is only one. All our world comes from truth and untruth coupled together. Samsara, life, 
is the result of the contradictory forces acting upon us, like the diagonal motion of a ball in a parallelogram of forces. The world is God and is real, but that is not the world we see. Just as we see silver in the mother of pearl where it is not. This is what is known as adhyasa or superimposition. That is, a relative existence dependent upon a real one, as when we recall a scene we have seen. For the time it exists for us, but that existence is not real. Or some may say, it is as when we imagine heat in water, which does not belong to it. So really, it is something which has been put where it does not belong, taking the thing for what it is not. We see reality, but distorted by the medium through which we see it. You can never know yourself except as objectified, When we mistake one thing for another, we always take the thing before us as the real, never the unseen. Thus we mistake the object for the subject. The Atman never becomes the object. Mind is the internal sense. The outer senses are its instruments. In the subject is a trifle of the objectifying power that enables him to know, I am. But the subject is the object of its own self, never of the mind or the senses. You can, however, superimpose one idea on another idea, as when we say, the sky is blue. The sky itself being only an idea, Science and nescience there are, but the self is never affected by any nescience. Relative knowledge is good because it leads to absolute knowledge, but neither the knowledge of the senses nor of the mind, nor even of the Vedas is true, since they are all within the realm of relative knowledge. First get rid of the delusion, I am the body, then only can we want real knowledge. Man's knowledge is only a higher degree of brute knowledge. One part of the Vedas deals with karma, form and ceremonies. The other part deals with the knowledge of Brahman and discusses religion. The Vedas in this part teach of the self and because they do, Their knowledge is approaching real knowledge. Knowledge of the Absolute depends upon no book, nor upon anything. It is Absolute in itself. No amount of study will give this knowledge. It is not theory, it is realization. Cleanse the dust from the mirror, purify your own mind, and in a flash you know that you are Brahman. God exists, not birth nor death, nor pain nor misery, nor murder nor change, nor good nor evil, all is Brahman. We take the rope for the serpent, the error is ours.
We can only do good when we love God, and he reflects our love. The murderer is God, and the clothing of the murderer is only superimposed upon him. Take him by the hand and tell him the truth. Soul has no caste, and to think it has is a delusion. So are life and death, or any motion or quality. The Atman never changes, never goes nor comes. It is the eternal witness of all its own manifestations, but we take it for the manifestation, an eternal illusion, without beginning or end, ever going on. The Vedas, however, have to come down to our level, for if they told us the highest truth in the highest way, we could not understand it. Heaven is a mere superstition arising from desire, and desire is ever a yoke, a degeneration. Never approach anything except as God, for if we do, we see evil, because we throw a veil of delusion over what we look at, and then we see evil. Get free from these illusions, be blessed. Freedom is to lose all illusions. In one sense, Brahman is known to every human being. He knows, I am. But man does not know himself as he is. We all know we are, but not how we are. All lower explanations are partial truths, but the flower, the essence of the Vedas, is that the self in each of us is Brahman, Every phenomenon is included in birth, growth and death, appearance, continuance and disappearance. Our own realization is beyond the Vedas, because even they depend upon that. The highest Vedanta is the philosophy of the beyond. To say that creation has any beginning is to lay the axe at the root of all philosophy. Maya is the energy of the universe, potential and kinetic. Until Mother releases us, we cannot get free. The universe is ours to enjoy, but want nothing. To want is weakness. Want makes us beggars, and we are sons of the king, not beggars. Sunday morning, July 7th. Infinite manifestation, dividing itself in portions, still remains infinite, and each portion is infinite. Brahman is the same in two forms, changeable and unchangeable, expressed and unexpressed. Know that the knower and the known are one. The Trinity the knower, the known, and knowing, is manifesting as this universe. That God the yogi sees in meditation, he sees through the power of his own self. What we call nature, fate, is simply God's will. So long as enjoyment is sought, bondage remains. Only imperfection can enjoy, 
because enjoyment is the fulfilling of desire. The human soul enjoys nature. The underlying reality of nature, soul and God, is Brahman. But it, Brahman, is unseen until we bring it out. It may be brought out by pramanta or friction, just as we can produce fire by friction. The body is the lower piece of wood. Om is the pointed piece and Tiana, meditation, is the friction. When this is used, that light which is the knowledge of Brahman will burst forth in the soul. Seek it through tapas. Holding the body upright, sacrifice the organs of sense in the mind. The sense centers are within and their organs without. Drive them into the mind and through dharana, concentration, fix the mind in dhyana. Brahman is omnipresent in the universe as is butter in milk, but friction makes it manifest in one place. As churning brings out the butter in the milk, so dhyana brings the realization of Brahman in the soul. All Hindu philosophy declares that there is a sixth sense, the superconscious, and through it comes inspiration. The universe is motion, and friction will eventually bring everything to an end. Then comes a rest, and after that, all begins again. So long as the skin sky surrounds man, that is, so long as he identifies himself with his body, he cannot see God. Sunday Afternoon There are six schools of philosophy in India that are regarded as orthodox because they believe in the Vedas. Vyasa's philosophy is par excellence, that of the Upanishads. He wrote in sutra form, that is, in brief algebraic symbols, without nominative or verb. This caused so much ambiguity that out of the sutras came dualism, monodualism and monism or roaring Vedanta. And all the great commentators in these different schools were at times conscious liars in order to make the text suit their philosophy. The Upanishads contain very little history of the doings of any man but nearly all other scriptures are largely personal histories. The Vedas deal almost entirely with philosophy. Religion without philosophy runs into superstition. Philosophy without religion becomes dry atheism. Vishishta Advaita is qualified Advaita, monism. Its expounder was Ramanuja. He says, Out of the ocean of milk of the Vedas, Vyasa has churned this butter of philosophy, the better to help mankind. He says again, All virtues and all qualities belong to Brahman, Lord of the universe. 
he is the greatest Purusha. Madhava is a thoroughgoing dualist or dvaitist. He claims that even women might study the Vedas. He quotes chiefly from the Puranas. He says that Brahman means Vishnu, not Shiva at all, because there is no salvation except through Vishnu. Monday, July the 8th There is no place for reasoning in Madhva's explanation. It is all taken from the revelation in the Vedas. Ramanuja says the Vedas are the holiest study. Let the sons of the three upper castes get the sutra and at eight, ten or eleven years of age begin the study which means going to a guru and learning the Vedas word for word with perfect intonation and pronunciation. Japa is repeating the holy name. Through this the devotee rises to the infinite. This boat of sacrifice and ceremonies is very frail. We need more than that to know Brahman, which alone is freedom. Liberty is nothing more than destruction of ignorance, and that can only go when we know Brahman. It is not necessary to go through all these ceremonials to reach the meaning of the Vedanta. Repeating Om is enough. Seeing difference is the cause of all misery, and ignorance is the cause of seeing difference. That is why ceremonials are not needed, because they increase the idea of inequality. You practice them to get rid of something, or to obtain something. Brahman is without action. Atman is Brahman, and we are Atman. Knowledge like this takes off all error. It must be heard, apprehended intellectually, and lastly, realized. Cogitating is applying reason, and establishing this knowledge in ourselves by reason. Realizing is making it a part of our lives by constant thinking of it. This constant thought, or dhyanam, is as oil that pours in one unbroken line from vessel to vessel. Dhyanam rolls the mind in this thought day and night, and so helps us to attain liberation. Think always, soham, soham. This is almost as good as liberation. Say it day and night. Realization will come as the result of this continuous cogitation. This absolute and continuous remembrance of the Lord is what is meant by bhakti. This bhakti is indirectly helped by all good works. Good thoughts and good works create less differentiation than bad ones, so indirectly they lead to freedom. Work, but give up the results to the Lord. Knowledge alone can make us perfect. He who follows the God of truth with devotion, to him the God of truth reveals himself. We are lamps and our burning is what we call life. 
when the supply of oxygen gives out, then the lamp must go out. All we can do is to keep the lamp clean. Life is a product, a compound, and as such must resolve itself into its elements. Tuesday, July the 9th Man as Atman is really free. As man he is bound, changed by every physical condition. As man he is a machine with an idea of freedom. But this human body is the best, and the human mind the highest mind there is. When a man attains to the Atman state, he can take a body, making it to suit himself. He is above law. This is a statement and must be proved. Each one must prove it for himself. We may satisfy ourselves, but we cannot satisfy another. Raja Yoga is the only science of religion that can be demonstrated and only what I myself have proved by experience do I teach. The full ripeness of reason is intuition but intuition cannot antagonize reason. Work purifies the heart and so leads to vidya, wisdom. The Buddhists said doing good to men and to animals were the only works. The Brahmins said that worship and all ceremonials were equally work and purified the mind. Shankara declares that all works, good and bad, are against knowledge. Actions tending to ignorance are sins, not directly but as causes because they tend to increase tamas and rajas. With sattva only comes wisdom. Virtuous deeds take off the veil from knowledge, and knowledge alone can make us see God. Knowledge can never be created, it can only be discovered, and every man who makes a great discovery is inspired. Only... When it is a spiritual truth he brings, we call him a prophet, and when it is on the physical plane, we call him a scientific man, and we attribute more importance to the former, although the source of all truth is one. Shankara says Brahman is the essence, the reality of all knowledge, and that all manifestations, as Noah knowing and known, are mere imaginings in Brahman. Ramanuja attributes consciousness to God. The real monists attribute nothing, not even existence in any meaning that we can attach to it. Ramanuja declares that God is the essence of conscious knowledge. Undifferentiated consciousness, when differentiated, becomes the world. Buddhism, one of the most philosophical religions in the world, spread all through the populace, the common people of India. What a wonderful culture there must have been among the Aryans 2500 years ago to be able to grasp such ideas. 
Buddha was the only great Indian philosopher who would not recognize caste, and not one of his followers remains in India. All the other philosophers pandered more or less to social prejudices, no matter how high they soared, still a bit of the vulture remained in them. As my master used to say, the vulture soars high out of sight in the sky, but his eye is ever on a bit of carrion on the earth. The ancient Hindus were wonderful scholars, veritable living encyclopedias. They said, knowledge in books and money in other people's hands is like no knowledge and no money at all. Shankara was regarded by many as an incarnation of Shiva. Wednesday, July 10th There are 65 million Mohammedans in India. Some of them are Sufis. Sufis identify man with God, and through them, this idea came into Europe. They say, I am that truth but they have an esoteric as well as an exoteric doctrine, although Muhammad himself did not hold it. Hashashin has become our word assassin because an old sect of Mohammedanism killed non-believers as part of its creed. A pitcher of water has to be present in the Mohammedan worship as a symbol of God filling the universe. The Hindus believe that there will be ten divine incarnations. Nine have been, and the tenth is still to come. Shankara sometimes resorts to sophistry in order to prove that the ideas in the books go to uphold his philosophy. Buddha was more brave and sincere than any teacher. He said, Believe no book. The Vedas are all humbug. If they agree with me, so much the better for the books. I am the greatest book. Sacrifice and prayer are useless. Buddha was the first human being to give to the world a complete system of morality. He was good for good's sake. He loved for love's sake. Shankara says, God is to be reasoned on because the Vedas say so. Reason helps inspiration. Books and realized reason, or individualized perception, both are proofs of God. The Vedas are, according to him, a sort of incarnation of universal knowledge. The proof of God is that he brought forth the Vedas, and the proof of the Vedas is that such wonderful books could only have been given out by Brahman. They are the mine of all knowledge, and they have come out of him as a man breathes out air. Therefore we know that he is infinite in power and knowledge. He may or may not have created the world, that is a trifle. To have produced the Vedas is more important. The world has come to know God through the Vedas, No other way there is. And so universal is the belief held by Shankara in the all-inclusiveness of the Vedas that there is even a Hindu proverb 
that if a man loses his cow, he goes to look for her in the Vedas. Shankara further affirms that obedience to ceremonial is not knowledge. Knowledge of God is independent of moral duties or sacrifice or ceremonial or what we think or do not think, just as a stump is not affected when one man takes it for a ghost and another sees it as it is. Vedanta is necessary because neither reasoning nor books can show us God. He is only to be realised by superconscious perception and Vedanta teaches how to attain that. You must get beyond personal God, Ishvara, and reach the absolute Brahman. God is the perception of every being. He is all there is to be perceived. That which says I is Brahman. But although we day and night perceive him, we do not know that we are perceiving him. As soon as we become aware of this truth, all misery goes. So we must get knowledge of the truth. Reach unity, no more duality will come. But knowledge does not come by sacrifice, but by seeking, worshipping, knowing the Atman. Brahmavidya is the highest knowledge, knowing the Brahman. Lower knowledge is science. This is the teaching of the Mundaka Upanishad, or the Upanishad for sannyasins. There are two sorts of knowledge, principal and secondary. The unessential is that part of the Vedas dealing with worship and ceremonial, also all secular knowledge. The essential is that by which we reach the Absolute. It, the Absolute, creates all from its own nature. There is nothing to cause, nothing outside. It is all energy, it is all there is. He who makes all sacrifice to himself, the Atman, he alone knows Brahman. Fools think outside worship the highest. Fools think works can give us God. Only those who go through the Shushumna, the path of the yogis, reach the Atman. They must go to a guru to learn. Each part has the same nature as the whole. All springs from the Atman. Meditation is the arrow. The whole soul going out to God is the bow, which speeds the arrow to its mark, the Atman. As finite, we can never express the infinite, but we are the infinite. Knowing this, we argue with no one. Divine wisdom is to be got by devotion, meditation and chastity. Truth alone triumphs, and not untruth. Through truth alone the way is spread to Brahman, where alone love and truth are.